everyone, welcome to the Startup Dunedin podcast. I had the absolute pleasure today of sitting down with Julia Ann, the founder of Look After Me, New Zealand's premium homestay network. There was a lot of interesting topics in this conversation. For one, uh, Look After Me holds a social media record having over 20 billion social media mentions from one event that happened to them a few years ago. And we also talked about the shared access economy and why that's important to New Zealand, as well as raising capital in New Zealand and a whole lot of other topics. So if any of those interest you, tune into the show. It's, um, it's been a while coming. We've been looking forward to having you on. How's it going? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Angus. Yeah, it's great to be here. Cool. The first question that we ask uh, any founder that comes on the show is obviously to do a little bit of an elevator pitch on their business. So would you mind elevator pitching Look After Me? Sure. Uh, yeah, Look After Me is a homestay network. So mm. we help homeowners rent out their spare space. Um, and we do that with our defined standards. So all of our homeowners, are, it's all hosted accommodation. So they only have one, two or three guest rooms. And we only have okay. one group of um, guests at a time to really uphold our looking after after a few brand promise. Um, yeah, and we've served about 17,500 guest nights around New Zealand. Uh, we launched in 2011 ahead of the Rugby World Cup. And uh, yeah, we've helped all major events and um, just really love looking after people. Fantastic. And you guys describe yourselves as a digital hotel. Do you mind elaborating a little bit on what that means? Yeah, well, we all know that um, hotels are great because they provide very clean, very comfortable, very safe accommodation. Mm. And we also love um, new concepts like Airbnb because they're fun, they're cheaper, and you get to connect with the locals. So we've pretty much combined the two concepts together. So mm. it's the, um, the the hotel and safety and the vetting of the um of the hotel together mm. with the shared access economy and we've brought the con- two concepts together and we sit right in the middle and we off so our digital hotel is providing accommodation um yeah we've even got our own um you know merchandise and um you know dressing gowns and um cool. and we help our homeowners really set up um a unified brand right around the country mm. that's awesome and so for yourself with look after me was there i guess a moment of frustration or something where you went, aha, this is going to be the business I'm going to start. How did you end up coming up with yeah, the Yeah, strange story. So I was a plant molecular biologist <laughs> and I actually had, um, it, was a, it was a vision, but it was inside my head and I saw mm. a world and I saw people holding hands and I was sort of in a daydream kind of state and I just said, I want to start a homestay network, which was a really unusual thing for a plant molecular biologist to say, I knew nothing about tourism, about e-commerce, about um, running a business, I knew nothing about nothing, but I felt so compelled um, to start this homestay network and the idea followed me around and I took myself to business school for a year to study how to run a business and uh, yeah, just just launched it um, with the Rugby World Cup. Um, I mentioned it to some guys in in Wellington Web Fund and they said, hey, look, you're launching in three weeks and I went, woo. And I awesome. left my job and launched, which was really, wow. really brave and ambitious because I was a single mum with no safety net. So is that three weeks after having the idea, having this sort of epiphany? Um, I had the idea in 2009. Yeah. Uh, so it, I, then I had roughly... A year of business school. Yeah, a year of business school, okay. 2010. And at the beginning of 2010, I was wondering how I'm going to get going. Yeah. Um, and we actually ended up launching in July that year. So yeah, it was a little ways after, but I only met the guys... Um, in, in Wellington and 
on the 19th of May and we launched on the 21st of mm. July. Mm. And so you guys have obviously been around for uh, a while now. Would you still describe yourself as early stage? Yes, I would. Um, yeah, I would. I, I think that we've taken the long, slow route through our startup journey, okay. and that's probably because of my own um, learning uh, mm. and, and learning how to actually run a business. Um, I think if we look at the stats, 98% of businesses actually do fail within the first couple of years. So right. to be eight years in and, and still braving it and innovating is... Um, yeah, I think it's a testament to the strength of our of our team mm, and, our, and our idea in the marketplace. Definitely. And we, and we were speaking about earlier, um, just before we started on the show, obviously your your pitch has changed quite a bit over time. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that from, I guess, what you thought you were at the start to who you are now, if that makes sense? Definitely. Yeah, so we started as a simple homestay network and that is the core of our business. Mm. But as we've evolved and grown and changed, we've recently innovated and in, in we're upgrading the company to having to becoming a tours, events and accommodation company. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that Look After Me will offer tours and events, particularly around the creative pursuits. Um, We realised that when we looked at our 17,500 guests, most of them were um, middle-aged women, baby boomer women, retired women, Mm. um, mostly travelling by themselves. And when we we thought, well, how can we serve our favourite kind of customer better? And as we got to know our customers, we realised that a lot of them have the creative endeavours in in their passion. You know, they, they... Many of them want to write a book, many of them want to paint a picture or, you know, do a project with yarn and wool Mm. um, or throw a pot or a plate. And um, so we're developing a series of events around uh, uh, words, paint, clay and yarn uh, here in Dunedin. And it brings visitors from out of town to Dunedin. And uh, once we've established those four signature events, we can then take that idea to any destination um, mm. because it's a formula it's a building it's a it's a package tour uh, and so we'll establish it in Dunedin and then uh, in the North Island in 2020 sure. so and then from there we can take that idea to any creative city San Francisco Madrid um, London sure you know it's a, it's a it's an idea where we can take and borrow from New Zealand's world number one status of looking after people and our hospitality mm. and we can actually take that elsewhere so Awesome. So what made you choose Dunedin as, I guess, the testing ground for something like that? I think Dunedin, after living here for three years, the creative communities are very cohesive. Mm. Um, they're quite a real power force. And they. Um, I also was inspired to consider this idea because I did a, contra- a contract for the Dunedin City Council okay. on Arts Day, where I looked at the um, economics as well mm. as the... Um, feasibility did a feasibility study that um, to, to see how the creative communities, artists, jewelers, you know, makers of um, of anything, could benefit from economic growth. And mm. this idea, um, I, I sort of raised the idea, and then um, yeah, and so it, it's a combination of putting the best of what Look After Me already offers together with an, a new idea about you know, imagining events and journey, creative journeys for our own customers and for people who might enjoy something like that. Yeah, sure. Mm. So in terms of looking to the future of what that would actually look like, um, 
you'll have a set time period where you have those series of events. Someone will buy a package where they get their accommodation and obviously their ticket or whatever it is to that event Correct. as well included in that. Yes, that's yeah. right. It is a package deal. So um, the way that we're designing the events, there'll be what we call VIP tours. Mm-hmm. Um, the initial, Initially, the VIP tours will just be putting on a bus um, from Christchurch to Dunedin okay. in the first instance, and then there might be 50, between 15 and 45 VIPs from out of town, and that's where they're bringing revenue to Dunedin. Yeah. And they'll come for the purpose of, say, doing a roadmap to write a book, Mm. but they'll join in with um, a community of Dunedin writers. And so it Mm. brings the writers from one city um, and integrates them with our our writing community. And I think Dunedin's unique status as the UNESCO City of Literature is a really, um, it means that the city is ready for events like this. Yeah, totally, mm. totally. I was going to comment on that, actually, the, the community building aspect. And, mm. um, you know, if you can build a community around a product and obviously then they all become, uh, you know, champions for that product, that's that's a great thing, right? Well, we hope so. Uh, and I also really love the idea that uh, people on a creative journey, it can be a solo activity, mm. whereas, you know, we, we teach people, we give them a roadmap of how to write their book and take them through the you know, how to get to each milestone. Mm. And yes, they'll have, a say, a week with us here in Dunedin um, or at any one of our locations. But then from that cohort, we'll form a Facebook community and then the and there'll be lots of interaction in that week. Mm. And from there, that cohort, you know, there'll be a marketplace where people, they can sell their books to that. And so they can get feedback and um, be connected with editors and publishers and people involved in that creative mm. journey. And and it, so it's it's ongoing because um, the community then becomes a force. And then, well, if you go to a, the, the writing events called The Great Write-In, and so if you come to one of our great write-ins, maybe a year later you could um, we have a, and you know we'll hold them annually for that mm. cohort, and um, yeah, it builds a community and and, and it so continues on so on. past yes. just that initial yeah, yeah, trip. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. I feel like we need something similar for for entrepreneurs, right? Are you commenting that it's um, it's definitely about the community. And yeah. if you look at our brand, you know our brand is all about looking after me. You know, looking looking after people, mm. and our philosophy is very much looking after the head, looking after the hands, and looking after the heart. And so, yes, we are very much um, the core business is looking after how people, you know, sleep and eat mm. um, and and travel. But we've realised that our you know, market position and because of our target market is mature middle-aged mm. women and baby retired, you know, there is, um, we can do better than that. You know, it, it helps differentiate our brand uh, on, on some of the soft, the softest stuff that people really are craving and uh, we all just crave to be understood. Totally, totally. I was going to comment on that as well, actually, um, doing a little bit of a dive on your website, you mentioned that kindness is one of the founding principles of Look After Me. And um, one of the interesting things for myself is when you look at brand values how do you go about scaling them and I guess particularly for yourself when you've got so many different people involved with delivering your service how do you make sure that those brand values I guess carry throughout um, everything that you do yeah great question so um, I guess our name look after me um, attracts people who buy into our brand values around trust Mm. and kindness and care and looking after people. Um, Most of our hosts are 
retired or semi-retired um, couples or singles whose children have left home and, okay. and they've got this social capital. Um, they just seem to love looking after people. So and we, we vet and visit all of our hosts. So okay. um, we have turned people away if we didn't feel that they really understood the, the kind of quality of care that we're expecting from them. Mm. Um, so we have host, we have guidelines around um, protocols, you know, meet and greet and breakfast and mm-hmm. um, rooms and, and, and everything to help keep those standards really high. Really high. Cool. And what sort of service, I guess, do you provide to the host in return? Obviously, you showed us the yeah. the branded things yeah, that you yeah. provide so, them. Yeah, um, yeah. So we have a, a host care director um, mm. and we have protocols uh, for onboarding. So that includes um, a visit and photographs, uh, making sure that um, they've got the host care guide and that they understand. Um, we have tips and tricks and we advise um, they to have a pretend booking, you know, if that someone book, you know, pretends to stay and then mm-hmm. does a, um, a bit of a dummy run. And then we've also got our host evenings where we invite people along and we offer advice and okay. um, yeah, it's just a, a wraparound service really. Mm. So definitely a, a lot uh, more depth than something like Airbnb where anybody can kind of just sign up and, and throw yeah, something Yeah, there, yeah, and I think um, their tagline is we let anyone rent anything. Yeah. And and that, of course, means they have a, access to a global marketplace. Mm. But in a busy global marketplace, um, but there is plenty of room for a boutique New Zealand brand. Totally. Um, really leveraging off the power of New Zealand's brand of hospitality. Um, yeah, we've... We're the only company that's really doing that. Mm. Mm. So speaking of global brands, mm. you mentioned before that obviously baby boomers are a target market, but you also are probably known by a few people in Korea and China. Is that right? Yes. Um, <laughs> so back in 2014, when I was really understanding the tourism industry, I, mm. I got to know the tourism industry through John Key and then um, the industry itself. And so I went and made it, um, my job to introduce myself to anyone who's anyone in tourism New Zealand mm-hmm. and Auckland and telling them about homestay. At that time it was particularly around the cycle trails mm. but tourism New Zealand got approached by a TV show called Daddy Where Are We Going and it's a very popular TV show um, produced by NBC and Korea yeah. and because I'd just been there I you know, I was the girl on the you know, homestay hot dial uh, they said can you help by hosting five celebrity daddies and their five celebrity kids for a reality TV show where every week they have to do something different and that particular week they had to travel to New Zealand and stay with a, um, with a family so um, I was the lead coordinator for that um, organising the homestay families mm. but at the last minute like the day before one of our families um, got the yonder bug everyone was pure, you know, oh, and it was okay. terrible so um, myself and my partner and my little girl who was uh, seven at the time stepped in and so we formed we had this rather entertaining um, experience of being um, on reality TV <laughs> and my daughter was amazing who knew she was just a natural she blew us all away because it was all around yeah. very kid centric and she was just 
amazing in front of the camera. Um, so, uh, so that was watched by twenty million people. And wow. Yeah, that, that's um, that was quite modest. And, and so, um, I while I was um, you know wrapping up the show, I talked to the producer and I said, look, um, how would we go about inviting the sister show, which is the Chinese version of the mm. show, also called Daddy? Where are we going? How could we you know invite them to New Zealand? And he said, oh. Oh, very expensive. I said, oh, yeah. How much? He said, oh, one million. I said, oh, one million. Okay. So um, I inadvertently um, negotiated a deal to bring the TV show to New Zealand. So what I still had to to do, together with Tourism New Zealand, Mm. Destination Rotorua and Destination Waikato, was write a proposal why they would bring the Chinese version and I based it in Rotorua so there would be the steaming mud and the Māori culture together with the lakes and the forest and lots of activities for the celebrity families to do Mm. and we were successful against Singapore, South Africa um, and uh, Queensland I think so but New New Zealand got the deal uh, and then I was um, appointed as project lead for that and when I saw the I had to do the budget and they said you have to make these numbers you know add up to a million dollars and I thought so um, (laughs) I never really revealed um, my um, my play of of that but I I thought that if we could bring a TV show like that Mm. to New Zealand it would really help the economy Um, the TV shows were enormously popular. Okay. They were watched on air at the time by 404 million people. And then by the time they went out to satellite, uh, they were watched by 1.3 billion people oh through um, all the Chinese-speaking um, countries. And uh, and we actually broke a social media record. It is still the most talked about thing on the planet with 20 billion mentions. It makes the you know, the Royal Weddings and the FIFA World Cup look absolutely puny. So um, I was very humbled to be project lead for um, for mm. a project like that. And, um, yeah, I really yeah, got to see... And it was all around the homestay concept because yeah. uh, what happened was those Chinese celebrities stayed with real Kiwi families and it showcased um, how Kiwis live and play and subsequently revenue from Chinese visitors into Rotorua increased by 61% the following year. Wow. Yeah, 61% is a big number. And the number of visitors to New Zealand um, increased by 56%. So I have, although we didn't do the surveys, it's indicative that the show's probably an influence, yeah, an influence, because they've Mm. subsequently gone back to a more modest level. So there were certainly quite big spikes in 2015 and 16. Um, we believe as a result of the show of which the was show. the intention yeah of course mm. of course so how far into your journey with look after me did you become the project lead on this um it was so we launched in 2011 mm-hmm. um it was 2014 and 15 so three years yeah, just in. three years yeah. in and like any startup i was always open to doing a little bit of contract work mm. here and there and i wasn't actively seeking it but when no. they invited me to become the project leader i realized that i did have the skills because from my science background i was used to running big you know science programs sure. of millions of dollars and 25 people uh, the project for daddy um daddy china or D- daddy where are we going 
it was about 500 people involved. Um, okay. Yeah, so it was a big project. So, so a lot of coordination yeah. between different yeah, parties. Yeah, yeah. and the, all the tourism operators, the families, um, and also mm. you know, the destination uh, marketing agencies, Tourism New Zealand, and also the film crews in respect of, um, yeah. So okay. It's a big so is that the biggest project that you've yeah, had to I've, yeah. organised? Right. Yeah. And But you felt the skills that you had from your science background transferred really well. Very much. You know, as project lead, my job, you know, it was yeah, management, but communications is absolutely mm. critical. So um, making sure that um, the directors and the, you know, executive producers and, every, and the, the, all the recce's, you know, the location, it was a lot of lining up, but mm. um, really good support from the film production um, teams who are very experienced in that so yeah fantastic was there anything that didn't go right during it any sort of something you could take away as a learning or uh, no it actually it was it was great you know <laughs> big highlights was um, you know being at Hobbiton and we did a film it filming at Hobbiton and, and the All Blacks were there so for me that was a, you know a personal buzz <laughs> yeah yeah totally <laughs> yeah cool yeah, it was great so obviously um, some great exposure for businesses like look after me through something like that yes did you choose to pursue the chinese korean market any sort of I, further? I did attempt it but i was really behind the eight ball i think i don't think i had full awareness of what it really took to develop a i didn't and I didn't develop a pipeline well enough, okay. and I did put some, didn't develop some brochures and things, but I, I didn't do the digital marketing pipeline well enough to connect Homestay in New Zealand to our brand, and then, okay. um, so that was really great learning because you, you think with all that exposure, Look After Me would have just taken off, mm. but it's a great example of how if you are ill prepared, you can just lose that opportunity and mm. the, and and I, I so that's probably the big learning is that I guess I was a little naive I thought oh yeah business will just flow in but of course because of the language barrier and because of um, the payment system mm. um, and the way that Chinese social media works on Weibo and um, um, WeChat mm. uh, and they don't have YouTube or Facebook mm. um, and or Visa um, so all of the mechanisms that we are used to dealing with in our digital marketing, I, I just wasn't savvy enough or quick okay. enough. Um, and and actually, at the end of the day, we really our company and the way our hosts aren't really set up for looking after families and young families. Yeah, sure. It's just not our target market, and and so it, it was a great experience, and it's great for story, telling stories like this <laughs> totally. and part of my entrepreneurial journey. But it didn't really make the company. No. It made me realise, you know, who who we actually who we like looking after, um, and who that target audience yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, and it is really, um, yeah, the the mums and the aunties, and yeah. Mm. So, so looking at who your target customers are, how did you go about getting your first few customers on board? You know, back in those yeah. very early yeah, stages. Yeah, I was really fortunate to be quite involved in a community service organisation called Zonta. Okay. Now, Zonta is a bit like Lions or um, Rotary, mm. but it's uh, for women business, women professionals. And I, when I did my market research, I realised that in this fairly small group, only about 35, mm. but many of them had really nice homes and beautiful guest rooms and it, it kind of sparked the idea. And they, 
like five or six of them immediately came on as hosts in Rotorua Fantastic. as a way to support me and my business venture and because they could see that they could earn money mm. and the Rugby World Cup was coming and um, so that you know getting that early traction mm. uh, was actually really lucky but I like Trade Me launched with 20 items to sell we launched we had five rooms <laughs> <laughs> there you yeah. go yeah there you go mm. so obviously um, that's from the perspective of someone that's listing mm-hmm. their home on there what did I guess advertising to prospective tenants look like yeah then? yeah yeah so um I did a publicity stunt I turned okay. up in my pajamas at a at a, an event which was broadcast on national TV so um, perhaps this started my foray into media so <laughs> my friend um, she she said oh you should do a pajama stunt and she said oh I did this thing where I was in my pajamas um, and I thought, oh, that's so good. She said, well, you should do the same. And I went, okay. Um, so I, it was midwinter, mm. and it was Tamati Coffee was doing the Rugby World Cup roadshow where he was doing, he was the weatherman, okay. and he was going around different locations in um, New Zealand. And the exact day that I happened to choose for launch, um, which is 100 days out from the Rugby World Cup, happened to fall on the 21st of July. And when I opened the local newspaper, I realised that was the same day that the roadshow was going to be in Rotorua. So I got up and um, we blew up a, a double mattress and we plonked it right in the um, right in the foot traffic um, with all our brochures and I was in my pyjamas. And so I got, because I was in bright pink, stripy, zebra-striped pyjamas, <laughs> I really stood out um, in a pink dressing gown. And so, uh, yeah, we've got this, um, our launch video is quite funny, um, and um, yeah. That's awesome. Mm. So, and like so so from that, so that yeah. um, that then, the photo of me in my pink striped pyjamas mm. went in Christchurch Press, it went in the Dominion, it went in the Auckland Herald, it went everywhere. So I just had a really lucky PR break yeah. to help get those first guests. Yeah, PR yeah. is really important at the early stages. It can be one of the easiest ways to start to get yeah. people through the gate. Yeah. So you've got this great thing of, Yes, you get a lot of reach, but you also get that badge of approval mm. from being in a newspaper. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for whatever reason, that still stands in terms of brand equity these days. Very yeah. much, and it's always been an important part of our marketing strategy. I think mm. we've had seventy-two articles. Wow. Around okay. the company over the years. Yeah. So how does that happen? Is that something that you guys are seeking and planning for, or? Yeah. Pretty, yeah. Um, yeah, and also one of my natural talents is that I'm a writer. So I have a 100% track record, so every story I've ever pitched has been published, which I think is quite unusual. But I seem to have an eye and an ear for an angle. Like I can pick an angle and go, oh, the readers of that particular magazine might enjoy that angle. Mm -hmm. um, And yeah, relationships are really important in media. Mm. Definitely, definitely. So when you're writing an article for a particular publication, do you go through and read some of the past work that they've done to see what they normally push? Absolutely, or? yeah, yeah. yeah okay. definitely you have to do um, research. And also it's about the readership and the audience mm. and understanding, you know, from an editor's point of view, what's going to make good reading for... Mm. It's all about their reader. That's all they care about, and as they should, and, mm. and that's what we should too. You know, so um, an article in the AA magazine will be different from the next magazine, will be different from the Otago Daily the Times. Times or, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, mm. interesting. So, obviously, um, big PR break immediately saw a lot more traffic on the website, and consequently, those five rooms being filled, or was it sort of 
a bit of a spike there and then it took a while for things to Yeah, definitely in. a spike and then it took a while. And I, and I okay. think, again, a lot of naivety, you know, will build it and they will come. Yeah. That is so not true. I'm, I'm sure you've, you know, heard that saying as well. Um, I think when you have got a business that purely relies on web traffic, mm. it's it's not just having one piece of bait in the water, it's a lot of pieces of bait. So, you know, the wheel of content does need to include PR, but, you know, dig- proper digital marketing strategies. Mm. And, and it's taken us a while to be very clear about what the message is, what, what medium would be best to use, and also the technology suite that drives the infrastructure okay. is not to be underestimated. Like building that tech stack um, is a lot of our know-how. So what does your tech stack look like at the moment? Yeah, um, so we subscribe to the you know one one avatar like who you know being really clear who you're talking to. Mm. So for our um, great writing, it'll be you know, people see so it's time to write that book is our key. Method. It's time to write that book because eighty five percent of people say, oh, I want to write a book one day. So our key message it's actually time to write that book, mm. and then we use um, a lead magnet where um, a little piece of information here here's some ideas of how to write a, a roadmap um to get the book done and offer a little piece of advice and then mm. in a but in order to do that they submit an email address and then um we can then um send them more other valuable information and then by the way we've got an event coming up in 2020 we're going to bring um writers from out of t- town you know would you and then we offer our homestay and play package um yeah cool. so it's evolved and so when you first, I guess we're conceiving that, did you sit down and write out your full customer journey and then plan the content to each of those stages? Or has it been more that you started and then found, we need this bit here and we need that bit there? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think as we've evolved and matured as a company, um, mm. so our recent upgrade absolutely wrote out our customer journey yeah. and we've understood which pieces of software that we need to deliver. Um, like. Um, you know, with the Facebook and then the auto respond, you know, mm. the landing page and the um, auto responders. Back in the day, it was completely. We didn't really know. We just we just thought, well, everyone needs accommodation, right? Yeah. And <laughs> and we didn't really understand how important it was to target that message in a way that really hooks people. So hook story offer. So I guess we've really matured in the way we're marketing ourselves and understanding who we are and who are the customers we serve. Was that something that happened over time or was there a particular moment where you were like, oh, we need to focus on one particular person? Was there a conversation? So we see it quite a lot at Startups in Eden where someone will be like, well, you know, it's anybody that owns a house or it's anybody that eats food or it's anybody that breathes air. (laughs) And getting really narrow and getting people to realise that they should be narrow can be... A difficult thing to do. It was difficult for us too, and mm. it doesn't feel natural. But it's around having a beachhead strategy and being very clear. So, yeah, look, we've been in the marketplace eight years, and it's really been only in the last um, two or three months where we've had the the idea around the great writing and the heart here's art events and the clay, you know, throw that mm. plate um, event. So, um, it it became. It became a necessity because mm. I was invited as one of the special guests for an event last week in Queenstown. It was called the Tourism Tech Event. And it was the inaugural meeting of the Wakatipu and Wanaka Investment Network. Mm. And I went along and I, I was as I was preparing, this is a few months ago, I realised that our revenue model was really weak. Okay. And I thought, gosh, 
you know, we're relying on just a commission from a guest nights um, and a little bit of a, an activation fee for our new hosts. And it wasn't mm. really strong. And I started looking at other revenue models, um, discovered the Disneyland model around owning the whole economy. Um, and we realised that we needed to be a lot clearer. And I think the, with some of the books I've been reading, um, Russell Brunson and ClickFunnels, Grace Lever, okay. um, The Doers in a Circle for Female Entrepreneurs. So I've been really quite heavily influenced by the reading I've done um, from other entrepreneurs who have built successful online businesses in, in a number of industries. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, being a lot clearer made more sense. Yeah. Do you mind repeating those two books for anyone listening at home? Yes, yeah, certainly. So um, Russell Brunson, um, he has a book called Dot Com Secrets, and a second book called Expert Secrets. Okay. And he has a company called Click Funnels, which helps entrepreneurs like me build landing pages that convert um, bookings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of his followers, Grace Lever is an Australian woman who's helped 50,000 female entrepreneurs build successful online businesses. So I know that that this, the technology works, and, mm. but it's all around understanding um, your, who you are, really understanding them. And we have now eight years of deep understanding of mm. women in New Zealand who like to travel. So do you do any, I guess, like formal customer interviewing with people or have you more gathered the information just through interacting with people at different parts of that sales process? It's both. Um, we have we've uh, those um, guest testimonials we have gathered over the years, mm. but we have also done some formal interviewing and surveys around what what people want. And we're strong messaging around craving community, um, like-minded people, you know, shared passion for interests. Um, we had a lot of people saying they want wine and cheese events. Okay. But it's a, it's a very crowded marketplace. Mm. So we will offer wine and cheese at our events, but it won't be the main, main <laughs> Focus event. of the yeah, event. Yeah, yeah. yeah sure, yeah. sure. Mm. Yeah, somebody was telling me about the... Um, the wine and painting events yes, recently? Yes, uh, yeah, paint vine, yeah. Yeah, have you been to one of those before? No, I haven't, but I may um, go to one in Dunedin, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about going to the mm. one down here. It seems mm. like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. So in terms of all of your different marketing channels, you mentioned Facebook. Mm-hmm. Has your most successful channel been what you expected and what does your kind of spread look like at the moment? Yeah, so Facebook is successful for us because mm. we can finally tune and target those um you know those ads and around the message mm. um, both because it's a two-sided marketplace so we're looking for hosts and we're looking for guests so different ads you know, different um, different message but it means that you can really target so, so for example when we um, help with other events like wearable arts in Wellington field days in near Hamilton mm-hmm. uh, um, WOMAD in New Plymouth we can use Facebook to target homeowners who might have one, two or three spare rooms and, and be really targeted around that messaging. So okay. yeah, it, it's really changed the game for us. Um, and, and is that the main channel that you're using? Yeah, pretty much because LinkedIn is you know business to business and we are mm-hmm. really you know, B2C, you know, we're really looking after the customer, looking for customers in the marketplace. For sure. And that's where they are. I was gonna say in your demographic yeah, is yeah, yeah, very yeah. much on so Facebook. So yeah, it's they're not on Instagram and they're not on Twitter. Yeah. Um, they are the grandmas and the aunties who love looking at, you know, pictures of their grandies and their you know, and, and, and so they're there. Mm. Yeah. Did you try any other channels before I guess 
deciding yes. that Facebook was yes. it? Yes, um, we've tried Google Ads. Okay. Um, I have sought advice. It is quite expensive and you can drop a lot of money in the big black hole. Um, and I'm, yes, I'm really interested in yeah, click-through rates and mm. um, looking at cost of acquisition and, and making good business decisions around what makes sense and what's tried and true. Sure, mm. sure. And that's where Facebook comes into play. Mm. Very cool. And so obviously being in a startup, that can be pretty stressful at times. Has there been any big frustrations for you over the last couple of years personally? Oh dear, yes. So <laughs> I've, I've written, my first book is called Secret Diary of an Entrepreneur and it's very much around the personal journey of, um, you know, running out of money, not once, not twice, but um, probably three times. And um, so, yeah, I think cash cash flow has been huge and but I've always had a fallback position because I'm a writer. Um, mm. I've always been able to pick up contract work for media companies or, you know, Dunedin City Council, um, Otago Regional Council. Uh, sure. I've always been able to, you know, fall back on my my writing career. Um, so money, uh, mm. um, self care is is probably, which is ironic um, from the founder of a company called Look After Me. <laughs> um, I failed to look after myself and uh, okay. burnt myself out so badly. Uh, my brain kind of didn't work for nine months okay. which was pretty scary but I did have good insurance and um, but that was really really tough you know being a single mum and, and mm. having the dream of building this business and realising that I'd put so much into it mm. I had failed to look after myself so uh, yeah big learnings around around money big learnings around um, uh, pro- you know over promising and under delivering you mm. know in, in times when you think oh I can do this and, and actually not really being realistic about what what we can do so mm. yeah okay yeah. so in terms of what self-care looks like for yourself now are there particular habits or things that Definitely. you do yeah yeah, yeah. Um, every morning it's a you know meditation okay. um, so I use meditation as, a, as one of my major tools mm-hmm. uh, and yoga one two or three times a week and mm-hmm. just at home like a YouTube video for 15 minutes it's not not fancy mm-hmm. it's just getting the body moving so making sure the mind is you know oiled and and Mm. feeling really strong and and grounded um and then moving the the body because i'm you know nearly 50 so i need to look after myself and then um very much around quality food and exercise so it is really back to basics it's it's water food it's really all the typical things yep all the typical things it's nothing fancy Mm. um yeah i don't go to a gym i you know i just do the, ver- the the bare minimum mm. but I find if I don't do that I I can feel my stress levels you know, yeah yeah and mm. vitamins you know I have um, a really good vitamin B product and okay. yeah no, so nothing nothing complicated nothing but just, um, yeah. and fun you know I always I never work on a Sunday yeah I've I never work on a Sunday it's um it's that's self-care day um and often the house, you know, family, you know, I've got a little daughter and, yeah, so that's when we, you know, exploring beaches and walks and, mm. yeah. So um, in terms of the meditation side of things, do you use a particular app or a particular Well, I've been recording? meditating since I was 21. Um, okay. I learned transcendental meditation and so it, it varies. I, I actually do 
do guided meditation for mm-hmm. productivity, um, guided meditation for financial abundance, guided meditation for um, <laughs> falling asleep. Just yeah. anything, anything I just want, I want. I just guided meditation. There is a guided meditation for everything. And just anything. on YouTube, yeah. Yep, and yeah. I um, I'm not precious about who I listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Abraham Abraham Hicks, um, Bob Proctor, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Tony Robbins. You know all those um, motivational. Uh, because it because it helps you know mindset mm. really is everything and you know I am determined to grow a successful grounded company mm. in New Zealand that you know is ethical um, is based on really good values and and really offers a very nice service to our customers and that comes back to starting with yourself as well sometimes mm. yeah. yeah yeah awesome so looping back into the marketing marketing conversation do you handle the marketing side of things for look after me yourself or is that something that you've got another team member I um, have recently employed some people to help so but what I needed to do was have real clarity on what it is that we are selling Mm. so moving into the creative journeys market um, we are doing a wraparound service for a a creative event our first event will actually not be one that we own it's called wild imaginings it's already here in dunedin mm. it's the children authors and illustrators hui so it's a national event and so we're doing homestay and play packages as a way to test out the new upgrade make sure that we can actually deliver um home you know we, we just have 50 you know there's about 300 delegates coming yep. even if we just look after 50 of them but do a really good job so mm. in terms of the marketing um, I'm fairly directive around what we're saying, um, not as directive on uh, how it gets done. Mm. Um, got a marvellous um, team member, uh, one of the top digital marketing students out of the university. So um, as part of my role, I've, I've just been doing some guest lecturing mm. at the university on the shared access economy and, um, and happened to mention that I might be looking for some people and um, some great, you know, basically got the top students so yeah oh fantastic yeah 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 very very cool mm. i'm always interested in what um and at what stage entrepreneurs start to hand off certain parts of their company to other people mm-hmm. which can be quite a difficult process um mm. i was talking to nigel bamford about it the other week and he basically said um any for anything that makes his phone ring he'll hire someone to take care of that job to start to reduce the number of times that his phone rings. Mm-hmm. And now he says it's, he's lucky if it rings once or twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's, that's how he handled that process. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we approached it um, by introducing a microjob program. Okay. So our, microjob, um, our microjobs are all custom-built jobs for on contract. So all of our contractors work between four and ten hours a week. Mm. So no one is full time apart from myself and the company. And that way um, I can bring in digital marketing, editing, videography, um, and ev- and um, customer relationships, you know, guest care, um, host care. Everyone is on a on a micro job that I have designed for them. Okay. So. In recruiting people, I really look at their CV, really look at their skill set, um, and really understand where uh, where, where they're best um, aligned to help. Um, so when they're working for the company, they are working on their, their best asset. Mm. And it means that it, it gets stuff done and it keeps costs down. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So when you say micro job, are you... Is that contractor work or are they an employee? They're all contractors. They're all and contractors, Okay. 
three of them are students so that works in really well so a lot of them really enjoy the fact that they can work from home so I try and meet with all of my contractors every single week okay um, right so that we're being fairly directive on what needs to be done Mm -hmm. and then we have a team meeting about once a week and do you come in person and meet or do you use yep. Zoom? So for the for the team meeting, we all we all, all come meet in. in. Person. Yep. yep. For the um, one-on-one meetings, it depends. Okay. Yeah. So how did you find um, those three students? Obviously, as you said, you got some through uh, being a guest lecturer. Mm-hmm. The other two, was there a particular program? or? Um, one of them was from my writer's group. She came along, because I'm, I'm in, a, in a writer's group, so I'm with my books, um, and she just said, oh, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> and I kind of looked at her, and I've known her for like three years, and I said, really? I said, oh, send me your CV. Turns out she's a rock, you know, she's got a rock star <laughs> CV, and she has, you know, she is a writer, mm. um, but she's done lots of podcasts and blogs and digital marketing and, you know, f- social media marketing okay. for lots of other companies for like about seven years as a freelancer. Mm. So um, she's our, she's our funnel builder, and um, she's, I, you know, crafted a job for her, and she's what we call our keyboard warrior. Okay. So anything to do with tech and putting tech together, um, tech stack, you know, um, yeah, investigating, you know, communication mm. software, all our software stack. She's um, she's all across. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Mm. What's the what's the best thing about working with students? The energy, the passion, the energy. yeah, and and and. I really love that it's there's no hierarchy with our team. It's just mm. we're all you know, we've got people who are in their twenties and people in their, you know, sixties and everybody feels that they can have an idea and say something. So it doesn't matter that they're just at the beginning of their career. You know, because we're very customer centric, it's all about the customer and customer mm. care. So uh, all all ideas can come to the table. So That's yeah, great. Yeah. That can be a difficult team culture to create, right? It's um yeah, you, you'll see in a lot of organisations, particularly bigger ones and more corporate, mm. it can be difficult to, to step forward and, and share what you think. Is, was that something that came from like a, an effort that you, you thought about and you were like, I'm going to make sure that our team is like this? Or was it more just from what the ethos and the value of the companies were from the start? It's both. Um, so my personal experience has been in as a manager so my mm. in my science career um, I was a, a scientist um, for a couple of years but I immediately was elevated to a leadership role mm. so I had quite big teams um, between 15 and 25 people and I learned that the best way to lead was almost from behind you know you lead as you know including people um, and all of my scientists and the team were smarter than me in mm. that particular regard so I it became a, a personal leadership style mm. where I would um, give a little bit of direction, but the how would always come from the people. And I and I've um, just it's just something I've been doing for you know twenty years. So yeah, it it feels very natural in my own company to live by that and and really and I guess from parenting as well. You know that encouraging. Um, the behaviour that you want and mm. so when someone would have an idea I'd go you know gee you know thank you so much for contributing that idea because I didn't think of it and, mm. and you know please know that I, I can't possibly think of everything so you know this is a team we are a team and you know this, that, and reinforcing no, that yeah, regularly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah okay. re- really reinforcing that 
um, that behaviour and and um, like Lindsay, um, she came up with the she loves Disneyland. Everything is <laughs> di- she just just and it became like a converse and I Disneyland and I as I started you know customer service and then the mm. revenue model. I'm like, you know what, we we can do that. And so we've adopted the Disneyland revenue model together with the circus, the traveling circus revenue mm. model. And so being open to those ideas has just revolutionised the business. Just yeah pretty much overnight yeah yeah yeah. and then allowing people to take responsibility is Mm. is really key right i think that's something that's coming through Mm -hmm. what you're saying is you know it doesn't matter how junior or whatever if this is your responsibility and you take ownership of it um, it means hopefully that they'll do a bit of a better job um, yeah because they feel responsible yeah and we've also just released some shares um for staff yeah so awesome um yeah as yeah, as we're building value in the company, uh, one of the um, as we're re- renewing people's contracts, bringing in um, a clause where um, there's X number of hours dedicated, and they actually then get, get a percentage share of the company, mm. particularly for the senior staff. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. In terms of the wider team, so looking at mentors, is there particular people that you call when you're tossing and turning over a problem? Yeah, I'm very lucky to have two co-directors. Okay. So both of them are, are tourism trained. Um, one, you know, has got decades of experience in, in tourism. So he's really good on on, on custom customer service and, mm. and brand. And um, and then the other one, um, Colin, who joined us fairly recently, is you know very good on um, technology systems, and and yeah, so. I really feel I'm quite well supported and I guess I'm reasonably independent and Google is my friend. You know, anything <laughs> I've ever wanted to know, um, Google, reading. I'm a prolific reader, absorber of all things entrepreneurship. I'm obse- almost obsessed with entrepreneurship and, and how um, people like me can bring products to the marketplace and, and really create good value for you know for our customers and for the country. Mm. Mm. Have you got a favourite piece of material that you've read on entrepreneurship? Yeah, I really love... Or top three. Um, yeah, <laughs> look, um, yeah, Sam... Um, his name's gone out. It's called Unfair Fight. Unfair, yeah. yeah, Unfair Fight. Sam Hazeldean. Hazeldean, okay. Yeah, um, Queenstown-based entrepreneur who started MedRecruit. Mm. I love that book. I've read that like three times. Um, Michael Hill, um, Think Bigger. Um, mm. Diane Foreman, Into the Arena. Um, yeah. yeah. The expert, you know, I'm currently reading um, Expert Secrets, which is about um, people like me stepping up to be, become a... A sort of a leader and really stand for something and and I've I'm at the beginning of that journey but I've come to realize that those you know people who've just retired I'm I'm getting fearful that they might not achieve what they really want and which is mm. to write a book or to paint a picture or mm. to learn and so I've, I feel like I really want to stand up and say so we've positioned the new brand right at the intersect of major global trends around the world is getting older more technologically savvy mm. women are the powerhouse of the the travel economy you know 80 percent of women are you know making the bookings mm-hmm. um and the shared access economy which is growing at a rate of 200 percent year on year and you know not to be underestimated so um yeah just really being an, an enabler to mm. help those people do what they really want to do and in a way that's fun and supported and mm. um, take them on the creative journey where they can do whatever you know 
you know, something that really fills them up and gives them joy. Totally. You know, for that, for that's the golden. We call those our, our customers the goldies. You know, yeah. our, our goldies. You know, because we you just really want to help them. And there's that demographic's growing, right? There's oh yeah. You yeah, talk to senior entrepreneurs, and it's the the new careers that people will be starting even when they're post-retirement age, and I use quotation marks because, you know, not everybody sees 65 as the age that they want to retire. Um, Yeah, that that group is growing. Yeah, well, according to the World Health Organization, the number of people aged um, 60 and over will Mm. will double from 12% of the global population to about 24% by 2050. So it's it's not just hearsay. Um, There's a lot of statistics around it. Mm. And so we've been doing our market research analysis for for nearly a decade and and we've pitched our um our company right into the intersect of all these emerging forces for the greatest chance of success okay wow so looking at the parts of the company um that you're handing to your team members um is it has it been difficult to give up responsibility or is there anything that you're holding on to that you think you're probably going to need to give up in the next sort of six to 12 months? Yeah, I, I think it's been little by little. Um, I I am quite detail orientated mm. and like for the host care program, like the host care and looking after hosts is a real core part of our, our business. And okay. um, I employed a host care director, but then was a little reluctant to give her work. And she was, she was great. She actually just wrote her job description and said, right, I think this is what I need to do. I need to do this and this and this and this. Okay. And I went, yeah. And so that's made it easier to hand stuff over. But because I'm, you know, so busy still handling, you know, lots of the the company, it's creating, I feel like I need to hand it over with a, a procedure already written. Mm. So I'm learning to say, here, this is how I do it. Can you have a go at it? And as you are doing it, can you write the procedure, please? Yeah. And so getting better about that. And um, not having to be perfect when, you, yeah, when yeah. you give it to them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just let, you know, bringing in the flavour. So I'm, I'm really um, delighted with the way that all of the staff have um, stepped up. And I've been a little apologetic. I'm sorry I, I haven't given you that, that, but I didn't know how. Or, mm. And so there is a little bit of that awkwardness. Um but that has to be me taking a breath and just going, you know, handing it over. And, and actually, there have been a, a lot of surprises how well people have done. Well, a lot of the time, the type of people that you want in those first few roles aren't the type of people that need something cookie-cutted for them. Yeah. They need to be the type of people that are going to add value. Yes. And a lot of that adding value yes. is them being able to think for themselves. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and I guess... Yeah, because I invented the idea and the concept. And it's not mm. like with the shared access economy there was any real true example. So we really are pioneering this concept in mm. New Zealand. It's not like we could, um, and hadn't heard of Airbnb um, uh, when we started. And yeah, yeah so it's um, very much making it up as we go along as best that suits the need of the customers. Mm. Mm. So looping back to the mentors and the directors, one of the interesting things um, at Startup Need, we often have people come in and say, oh, I, I'm looking for a mentor. How did you end up having those mentors come into your life? Was it through them hearing about Look After Me and reaching out to you? What did that look like? Um, a lot of serendipity, actually. Okay. Uh, I have got a small team of shareholders, and, and like I just happened to be sitting in the, in the lobby with one of my shareholders, mm. who happens to be one of the best bed and breakfast operators in, in Rotorua. And... 
um, Mike, for example, came over and he, he said, what are you two doing? And Viv is like, well, I'm just, you know, I'm a shareholder in this company. Um, look after me. And he, he felt like the fear of missing out. Really? Oh, so you're a share? Oh, you're, you know, so she'd invested. And so um, unbeknownst to me, he, he quizzed her about it. What's this company? And so, and then okay. he approached because he want you know, he thought. And so then I explained and he loved the idea so much. He um, And he also invested in the company. Mm. And I invited him to become a director because I realised that I didn't have a tourism background okay. and his credibility and skills were really able to, um, you know, in, enforce the quality that we needed mm. and the respect that we needed. And then Mike um, approached Colin. Colin had just sold um, a major apartment block and was ready for a new challenge. And so, yeah, we, again, um, it's been almost a domino effect but it's mm. just been slow and deliberate one at a time yeah okay and talking about um investment and raising capital did you have a capital strategy that they conveniently fit into or was that more opportunistic it was definitely opportunistic um i am a subscriber to a company but you know selling a selling a product and becoming mm. um really and you know and financially independent and you know but to become a proper business and rather than completely relying on um the hope and dream that you might get investment mm. um i guess i have i in saying that i have um gone along to just about every in pitching competition or event in New Zealand from, you know, in Auckland, I've pitched in Auckland, Hamilton, Rotorua, Tauranga, Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin, Queenstown. Right. So I have been all over the country. Um, to angel groups or to yeah, just both. events? Yep. Or, okay. yep. uh, you know, angel groups, events, um, private, mm. uh, yeah. And so I have raised, um, I've always seemed to manage to raise just a little bit of capital just when I've needed it. Okay. And it's always around software and people. So people platforms are a major um, mm. investment areas, people platform and promotion. Okay. So the promotion itself, you you make money from that if you do it well. Mm. If but you manage to get a mattress yeah, and yeah, some yeah. pink jammies. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, um, but really, um, yeah, so I've just, um, we've got, our, we're down to our last, I think, 59 shares. So okay. um, because this we're in the middle of a raise at the moment and so yeah looking for expressions of interest um mm -hmm. at the moment and i don't think we're going to need to raise capital after that i think we'll we'll be right after that you know with the new revenue model it's yeah. so strong um and the projections are so good um i i think and then we're looking at an eventual acquisition yeah. very cool mm. very cool so how far in advance are you looking for when you're planning a raise or when you're looking to raise capital are you planning six months yeah. eight months yeah it's definitely six to eight months six yeah to eight. Okay. yeah yeah i think i um yeah you do need to be realistic at how long it takes i mean i've certainly got much quicker and we've got very good legal support mm -hmm. it's around having the you know understanding the numbers and the due diligence and, and knowing what investors are going to want to have a look at mm. so that when you are approached or you know just um, in Queenstown last week um, that you're ready to say yes you know this is an investor company here are annual reports here's um, you know the, the team here's the the shareholders agreement releasing the, the shares so that you know you've you've got all your ducks in a row mm. Um, and that's just 
experience sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you're doing it yeah. um, and they're asking can you show me this and you're like yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. and you're fossicking around and going and you here go, you go yeah 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 yeah, add bits yeah. Together yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah piece together what you need yeah. do you feel that you made any obvious mistakes when you were first going through a capital raise or anything that you would do differently now with the experience that you have yeah I think um, company valuation is always really tricky like there okay. are seven different models of how you can value your, your company um, so choosing the right model and then being able to justify that mm. is really important um so I think um, we've raised capital on a valuation of no, but back in first we raised capital on a valuation of two hundred thousand um, when it was just an idea really, and then we raised capital on a valuation of a million dollars, and then I tried to raise capital on a valuation of three million dollars, but no one I, like for that particular round I didn't get even any interest, so I think I may have overvalued the company. Okay. And then last week we went through a you know quite a rigorous process and valued the company at two million dollars, and I thought oh we really did a good job, but we got to Queenstown and. Um, the judges felt like we had undervalued our company. He said, look, this is a $50 million revenue company. Um, you know, I think you're way undervaluing your asset. And so we're like, oh. So it's, it's, it is a, it's almost mm. a game, you know, because we, we actually went through quite a lot of rigour mm. to, to go through that. And, um, you know, last capital raise valuation was a million. And so we felt we could justify that we had doubled the value based mm. if it. We had a new team. We had a new con- revenue concept. We had added so much, you know, value. It, yeah. um, and the numbers stacked up pointing mm. to a two million. And then we've got someone saying... Um, not that he was saying the company was worth With 50 million, million no. he was saying that it has the potential and mm. um, you know so that kind of blew me away and you kind of go well you know then, it, then it's subjective so this is why valuing a startup so difficult right yep. when you've got you know startups aiming for a hockey stick Mm-mm. growth curve yeah, yeah. it's really hard to, yep. to go through that process yeah, in, yeah. in a way that everybody's going to agree on everybody's yeah. going to say yeah, that looks right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the, I think that's um, – but that's the guts of it. You know, mm. if the the valuation has to – and the, the offer needs to feel really um, real, we um, – you know, we're looking at fairly small amounts of capital and some mm. of the angels are going, well, you know, I want to invest $5 million. Mm. Um, You know, so I'm not really interested in a $100,000 raise or a five hundred. But But mm. we don't want to dilute our – equity too much so yeah. it's it's conversa- it's it's a you know it's a, we're, we're still in conversation as a result of last week and um yeah n- not yet ready to um consolidate a particular deal with one particular mm. party while we're still having you know it's about it's about the smart money now sure yeah. sure mm. so when you were going through your first capital raise did that take as long as you expected or was it longer three times longer Three times longer, oh, right? Oh my goodness! I okay. had no idea. I just, <laughs> I just thought, oh, this is going to be a cinch. Um, but I did. Uh, I was fortunate to be guided very carefully mm. through the process by Enterprise Angels, which is one of the angel groups out of Tauranga. And Bill Murphy was very gracious, and um, we went. I had an NZ. The NZTE partners, and we went mm. through the capital raising program, um, which included, you know, all the rigor that goes into the valuation of the company based on future potential earnings. So, it took me, you know, it took me like three days just to, you know, complete the Excel spreadsheet for the budgets that they required. Mm. Um, that sort of rigor, and I, you know, it was a bit. Te- it felt really tedious, but that grounding. Um, you know, has it's been 
I recognise the benefit of it now, but at the time mm. it felt like, really? I just want <laughs> someone to, you know, <laughs> hand me some hand money. Me, hand you the yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but really, you know, as I've come to learn more about investors, you know, they can – you know, you really have to prove yourself because mm. they can leave the money in the bank and get 2% yep. or, you know, 3% on a good day. Um, so, you know, how do we show them that, you know, and the, the company's already, you know, 10 x in value. So yep. um, so the early shareholders are delighted. But by the time we um, go through acquisition, it should, you know, we're looking at, what's the values game? What's mm. the company valuation worth and what is it going to sell for and mm. who's going to buy it and why? So... What was the total time on that process the first time you yeah, raised? Yeah, it was nine months. Nine months? Yeah. yeah I was going to say, it's usually yeah. typically about nine yeah, months. Yeah, it was nine months, yeah. I thought it would take three, which yeah. is why I said three times, yeah. It's not just you. Yeah. Most most yeah. founders that come through our doors have a perception of sort of uh, mm. two or three months yeah. and all have that in the bank, and it yeah. is always nine months. Yeah. Um, and the all yeah, it depends how you go about it. Mm. If you can get talking to an investor nine months before you well, or six months before you go and ask them for money mm. becomes a lot easier when you go and ask them for money yeah because nobody ha- yeah, writes your yeah. check the first time they meet you right yeah Colin did though <laughs> that's true yeah mm. that's very true yeah yeah no I was yeah. very lucky with um with that particular investment and it's been it's been this yeah that's really the smartest money you know he's been wonderful mm. fantastic so what was um, what was the number of groups or the number of, I guess the better way of putting that is what was the number of pitches you had to do that first time you were raising before you could close your <laughs> round? Oh, I think I probably would have done about eight or nine pitches. Eight or nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. And I, a bit I, of travel I, involved as well? Yeah, a bit of travel, yeah. yeah. I actually um, have never raised capital through any of the angel networks. Okay. Even though I've pitched to Enterprise Angels, mm. um, I didn't, and they had a special um, event. You know, I, had, I didn't get, I got a, I did get $10,000, but it wasn't through the actual um, process. It was actually turned out it was a gift okay. um, from someone who saw the potential in our company. And, and so that was a, you know, very generous um, surprise. Um, Can't ask for much yeah, better yeah, as a startup. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, um, but actually through um, all of my shareholders have come on as individuals. And okay. all, so every one of them I've had individual conversations with and they've all invested. Mm. Um, I've only had two conversations with individuals who chose um, for, for whatever for various reasons not to invest so I seemed my luck has certainly been one to one looking at the value equation and then mm. um, when they see who else is on the rest of the team they feel like oh we you know we, we better we better get in so yeah I have yeah I've, I haven't been able to raise capital at all in New Zealand um, through an angel, yeah, I know, through I, groups, through, yeah. and it's not through want of trying. Yeah. And I'm a reasonable presenter, and we've got a reasonable product, and we've got great traction. Um, I was going to say, you uh, usually get quite good feedback on your pitches. Yeah, I think it yeah. was um, you're talking about this on Not a Real Job, that yeah, podcast yeah. that you yeah, went yeah. on. First time you pitched, you got some amazing feedback mm. from um, the, I guess, the judges or the people in the room. Um, so yeah, it's a bit, it's bizarre that angel it, groups haven't jumped on board. Yep, it is just the way it is. Um, mm. Uh, but different angel groups have a different focus. So, for example, in Tauranga, they're very interested in agribusiness, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, and actual widget, mach- you know, machinery and, and agro. Yeah, um, soda um, and the group in Hamilton is more interested in. Um, yeah, yeah so it's, it's been really hard to find 
someone who's interested in travel and tourism up mm. until last week. So okay. that was why I was elated to be one of six companies um, representing Dunedin at, at, in Queenstown at a travel tourism tech expo mm. with investors interested in um so tourism, af- yeah. afterwards i was you know there was about six people wanting queuing to up to talk to me so yeah, yeah i'm in conversation at the moment so it's perfect event for you yeah right? i yeah. was um yeah i was in my element i was in the moon <laughs> to be part of that event and uh, yeah so we're in conversation so it's a bit early to say what results have come out will come out of that but mm. um i was very um you know, receptive to the positivity that, and yeah, people coming to the table to come and chat with me, and so I, yeah, quietly encouraged. Totally. Mm. So, looking at your your pitch, is there any pitch feedback, good or bad, can be the way that's really stood out to you over the last few years that you might pass on to someone else that gets up and pitches to <laughs> investors? Um, I was. I'm going to mention something. It's actually not a not a positive thing, but then I'll come okay. back to the question. So, <laughs> no um, I have had um, quite a few comments from people saying that they couldn't understand why a woman was um, in a tech company. Um, I've had, I've really? had, yeah, I've had really a lot of you know surprisingly disparaging comments about the fact that I'm a female entrepreneur, um, and which kind of shocked me. Um, mm. But I kind of la- laughed it off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, getting back to the um, yeah, getting yeah. So I guess the, the the big moment was actually last week when when he said, you know, one of the judges said, look, I think you're sitting on a fifty million dollar company, yeah. and I don't know why you're only valuing it at two million, and you're only asking for a hundred thousand. And so I had to really justify that because I don't think we actually need. Um, I didn't want to overvalue the company because I think I'd done that at a previous pitch event mm. and had no interest at all. And I was like, oh, okay, so. Um, and then one of the judges said, "Look, get a loan." <laughs> so, it, yeah, I guess you you know you, it, it's a formula. What's the problem? What's the customer problem? What's the you know the solution? What's your market? Mm. What's the market? What's the traction? Who's your team? And so it's that typical. Um, it's pretty formulaic, and when you're pitching, you know, with five, six, or seven minutes, but what they're really interested in is how much are they going to make. What's the what's the promise that this company is worth, say, two million today, and you're going to sell for twenty million? Mm. Like, how how are you going to do that? How is that believable? And so you're you're really building a case around because that's actually all they really care about is how are you going to turn the hundred thousand into you know a million bucks or ten mm. x their money? They they really are looking for a ten x, you know. Yeah. And that's fine. I'm looking for that as well. You know, well, at the I'm, end of the day. I'm the major shareholder, and um, yeah, I'm. You know, You're the one with the most skin yeah, in the game yeah, yeah, out of absolutely. anyone, right? Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. And not, as you said, 98% startups fail. So yeah. for these guys that are looking at investing in 10 and hoping that one yeah. comes off, it needs to be a 10x, 12x, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to be the one. I want yeah. I mean, we have spent a, a lot of time and effort money understanding our marketplace and, and, our, and our position in the marketplace. Mm. And one of the great things about Airbnb being a global um, company also in the shared access economy is it encouraged us to do that and really find well who are we serving mm. um, and who who is you know who is our favorite customer awesome mm. awesome I'm still surprised by that comment about the, the female mm. tech entrepreneur yeah I mean you're just missing out on so many opportunities mm. as, as that investor mm. you're just closing the door yeah yeah, um, yeah. 
That's yeah. yeah, it's just stupid. It's yeah. just really naive. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I, I um, laugh, laugh about. Like, yeah, well, you've and, you've got to, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, uh, to be honest, um, very few female tech entrepreneurs in New Zealand. I've mm. met one other one. Yeah, I mean, mm. there are other. There are others in the gaming industry here in Dunedin, and um, yeah, and oh Zoe, yeah Zoe, yeah, yeah. she's yeah. one of my heroes. Yeah, <laughs> she's, she's also she's on our board, so yeah, yeah. No, she's amazing. Mm. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Oh, well. mm. um, so one of the I guess phrases that you use when talking about look after me is the shared access economy. Do you mind explaining number one what that is? but to why that might be important for New Zealand? Yes, certainly. So the shared access economy, or some people call it the sharing economy. Mm-hmm. Now, the actual that's actually a misnomer. It's not really a sharing economy. I don't share my lunch with you and then um, <laughs> you know, expect you to pay for it. Sharing is sharing. Mm. Um, so sh- the better term is shared access. So um, another, we also, it's called the peer-to-peer um, or collaborative consumption. Okay. And so this is the rise of um, economies based on businesses which are marketplaces where um, people might have unused goods or goods um, like ski gear mm-hmm. um, houses rooms that the cars um, rides that they have they want to sell mm-hmm. and so a marketplace brings together people who want those goods in a, in a trusted way to those who are selling it so um, it's um, the shared access economy, um, according to Price Waterhouse Coopers, is will be significant globally. Okay. Um, it's um, an estimated f- with fifteen billion dollars in two thousand and fifteen, rising at a rate of two hundred percent year on year to be three hundred thirty five billion by twenty twenty five. Also globally, um, China is in their national policy mm. included the shared access economy as a national priority wow. and oh that and that that's really changed things quite phenomenally so globally it is a recognized phenomena uh, here in New Zealand we've been um, a little bit slower to embrace it but you there are companies that are emerging like um, firstly Airbnb you know rooms and houses mm. uh, uber with rides and um, and then Lime, they're the international companies, but there's actually been a number of local players like uh, MyWay for um, camper vans, Chariot for ride sharing, mm-hmm. um, and and so. But Look After Me is the only accommodation, sort of hosted accommodation, using the shared access economy. So we are seen as the, according to the New Zealand Business Magazine, um, who did ran a special issue on the shared access economy okay. when they're looking at who are the key disruptors in New Zealand. Um, we were interviewed as the the key disruptor and pioneer for the shared access economy in New yeah. Zealand and leading that. Um, so uh, knowing that mm. is really um, knowing where you are at uh, for your business stage because every every business that needs to survive needs to understand where they are in the the stage of that particular industry. Mm. So DVD, you wouldn't set up a DVD rental company (laughs) because that's in decline and it's matured. Um, Whereas the shared access economy is pretty much at the niche breakthrough end, which gives us plenty of scope. And so, plenty while, of room to yeah, grow. Yeah. yeah. So while we started an accommodation, we're moving into um, tours, events, and and um, you know, transport. Um, 
and just sharing transport and meals as mm-hmm. well and so covering the whole spectrum of tourism activities. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you let slip before is that you're in the process of writing a book. Um, there might have been a few people listening at home that were wondering what the book's about. Um, my understanding from another podcast that you're on is that it's some of the journal writing that you've done as an entrepreneur. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about the book and, yeah, and what it's course. all about. So there are three books. Um, the first one is called Secret Diary of an Entrepreneur and it's, it's the first 10 years. It's from the idea of inception mm-hmm. right through to um, yeah, just after we launched the digital hotel and then my, my dad died. Just quickly, um, it's got a great start from that anecdote that you told yeah, before yeah, about yeah, having yeah. the epiphany moment. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like the, you know, the moments of running down the Prime Minister and, you know, this and, and I've delivered, so it it's written from my diary, so I'm mm. a journalist and diary, and so what I did in sifting through the content for the first book was actually find all those bits that really made me laugh or stop or maybe go, I didn't. And, and actually what emerges is this incredibly naive um, young person who thinks they are going to just, you know, may be an instant success through to you know being burned out and broke and mm. you know um raising a child and and oh and falling you know there's a love story all through it too so um the you know, look after me was also inspired by a four-day first date on the cycle trails um in otago and so this ho- you know the um staying in people's homes mm. really made me realize how successful this idea could be so it's threaded through a it's a you know it's a love story it's a mother you know being a mother it's um being an entrepreneur mm. um the second book is very provocatively um called secret diary of a millionaire now i'm, <laughs> I'm not a millionaire but the idea is by the time i've finished that that second book i I w- would have sold the company mm. um, and then the idea is that um, I leave the company in very good solid no I'll probably stay on the, on the board of directors but the company is really thriving mm-hmm. um, and then the third book is called Secret Diary of an Entrepreneur uh, sorry of a writer Sec- of a writer of a writer and that's okay. where I um, take the first books on tour and so one of the first strategies is to get them translated into Chinese and market mm. them to China, you know, China because entrepreneurship, shared access economy and of mm-hmm. course my involvement with um, their favourite TV show um, <laughs> I only need to sell you know, 100 million copies at a dollar each and that's 100 million dollars There you go There you go. Awesome um, So there's a couple of questions I want to end on um, one of them is looking back to I guess right after you had that epiphany moment and it's a bit of a hypothetical if you had a time machine and you could go back to yourself back then and give yourself some type of advice um, about the process it could be um, to trust yourself we had Alice Marsh on and she was talking about how um, she wish she could go back in time and just say it's going to be okay trust yourself um, you know, it might not be a smooth road but you, you'll get there in the end um, it could be a particular you know technology stack that you wish that you'd gotten mm. on top of earlier or, or anything at all but if there was I guess one thing that you could go back and give yourself advice on after you had that epiphany moment what would it be? Yeah I, th- I think it would be around the actual journey of entrepreneurship because from everything I'd ever read the Facebook movies and all that it made it sound that entrepreneurship was actually really easy and you just <laughs> um, you know you set up a business and then you sell it and then next minute you're a millionaire um, <laughs> and I thought that would be my story too um, so I think I I thought I'd do, be able to do the whole thing in three years mm. I think if I was to go back I would say look this will take 
at least 10 years and it will take every ounce of of courage and determination um, ingenuity that you can muster and you will actually have to give absolutely everything to the mm. business and and then some rather I think I was dreadfully naive about what it would take you know out of my you know me personally financially emotionally mm. you know physically and you know with my personal relationships it's been a, a journey and that's why I'm writing the books to to to, pass to that actually story yeah just just to to pull back the curtains and say actually the journey of entrepreneurship is more like this and mine mm. is a pretty typical journey you know ripped Definitely. off burnt out broke um you know pivot you know investment you know or not you know it's um yeah, I think that's more the typical journey, and so that's why I want to tell the story. That's and really just yeah, everything we do is real. You know, real people, real yeah. places, real, real me. You know, it's just got to be real. I think New Zealanders really want real. Oh, hundred percent. Mm. And and you're right. It is a typical story, and we need to get better at telling it. Mm. We've um we've just started at um startups and actually we've got the second event coming up this September. I think it's the twelfth. Don't quote me on that. But we've started an event called Takeaways. Mm. I don't know if you've seen it, mm. but. We've based it off of um, F Up Nights internationally, oh, yeah. yep. and so we get a couple of entrepreneurs to come along and share when it all went wrong, and when it was seemed like all hope was lost, and they were really down and broken and not mm. in a good place. Oh yeah, I've got a good one. Oh boy. yeah, yeah. So we might need to get you yeah. along to be one of the guest speakers for yeah. that, but we keep it founder only and yeah. Chatham House rules, yeah, yeah. and it just gives an environment for people to share these sorts yeah, of conversations yeah, yeah. because at the end of the day, we like you said, we're all people, yeah, um, and the mental health. Oh, side of this conversation is really important. It's absolutely critical, and mm. I I really cannot emphasise how critical it is mm. for entrepreneurs because we actually put a lot of stress on on ourselves, and and actually that mental health, you know, I've I've had you know ups and and downs, and 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 that's why I'm very very focused on my own self care because yeah, when you have a bad you know months or you know season mm. um it affects everything definitely and everything yeah definitely mm. one final question and then i'll let you off the hook so what we let everybody do at the end of this podcast is give our audience a message or something to take away it can be something like you just said that's you know look after yourself that sort of stuff or you can go and plug look after me um, or something that's coming up for yourself I know you've got an investment round that you're looking to close out um, but is there something that you want our audience to take away yeah um, I think your audience is, is is probably other entrepreneurs and so mm-hmm. um, yeah hang in there um, well actually I'm going to pass on some advice from Suze Reynolds who was the chair of the angel um, organization and in a moment of desperation I was like oh this I, I can't do this anymore I don't know why and she just said to me she said an idea will hit an entrepreneur for a reason. And she said, you are the person who has had the idea to help homeowners rent out their spare space and look after people. Don't underestimate, no one else was given that idea. She said, you know, ideas, and it was almost like a spiritual conversation that there was this this, this idea kind of floated around. And she, she didn't know anything about my epiphany moment, but she said ideas floating around all the time and they, they find people who are receptive and they land on them. And she said it is your, your duty and, you know, responsibility to take that idea as far as you can because you're the only one who can actually do it. Mm. And so... Um, in those moments when I've gone, really? You know, it's I've gone, actually it is part of my personal quest and my journey 
and I, I am responsible and I have to keep going mm. um, you know and I hate for people to miss out on their creative pursuits because I you know lost faith in myself we know so yeah it's yes it's as simple as that you know you've, you've had the idea for a reason and yeah stay the course stay the course and yeah fantastic mm. well it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show I've had so much fun um, hearing about your journey um, that concludes this episode of the Startup the Need podcast